This is an ABC podcast. Just to let you know, there is a bit of bad language in this episode, and I am sorry about that. They are one of the first birds I met out here, and they are so super intelligent. Meet Gronya Cleary, scientist, lover of the natural world, and magpie aficionado. A lot of the problems with magpies are because of us. We cut down their trees. You know, we cut down their, their big trees that they need, and then we wonder why they attack us. Hey. Gronya's dream has always been to work with animals and share her knowledge helping others to understand the wildlife that lives around them. You know, they are incredibly smart. I remember one of my citizen scientists writing to me about um, this tree that was being removed, and it was a magpie tree. And the two magpies sat watching them cut down the tree, crying. They were doing this mournful, and your man was saying it was like they were crying. And like her black and white swooping friends, Gronya always wanted to be better understood and more appreciated. I never really fitted in. I never felt like I really fitted in back in Ireland. You know, so it does make me feel sorry for myself in the past because I didn't understand what was happening, what I had. When I was really in the depths of it, music would help me. And there was this one song, Frank Sinatra, High Hopes. Do you know it? It's high hopes he's got, high hopes he's got, high in the sky. Yeah, anyway, it goes like that, and it's all about, you know, if you just keep trying, you'll make it. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. Welcome to Days Like These. Growing up in Ireland, Ronya Cleary had never even heard the word dyslexia. She just knew that she was different. And that difference, for many years, it left her feeling like an outsider like a foreigner in her own country. Our reporter, James Viver, picks up the story of this delightful, determined, highly creative woman at Gronje's convent school in 1980s Dublin. Gronje's dyslexia is on the tougher end of the scale. Because I didn't know what it was, what I had, what the dyslexia was, and I didn't understand it, I used to do an awful lot of self-harming. So I would bang my head against the wall. I would literally bang it. I'd be like, I would have read a paragraph, I would read it again, and then I would try to remember it, and I couldn't. So I'd bang my head, and I'd be like, why can't you understand it? Get into my fucking head. And you'd actually be banging it. Jesus, God love me. What was I trying to do? For me, it was always my dark passenger. It was always this, you know, negative thing. I never saw it as a gift. It held me back. It, you know, gave me such grief. So for a long time, my self-esteem was really low. Right off, I knew I was different because I struggled. I struggled with speech. My speech was late. My coordination was really bad. I was left-handed, so everything was backwards. Um, so I, I always knew that there was something up. I had trouble riding a bike. Like, I remember my dad 
teaching me how to ride without stabilizers. And, you know, he kept holding onto the bike and then letting me go to cycle. And I kept falling. And I kept falling. And I kept falling. I could not get balance. And I remember him just there with tears in his eyes because I kept getting up on that bloody bike. I was determined. I failed badly in school. I used to always get NG, which means no grade, because I'd look at my writing and I couldn't even understand it, so it would just be an NG. And I used to bring that home to me dad. And my dad would go, ah, now, that means natural genius. Don't you worry about that, my love. But the thing is, she had no idea about any of this when she was in school. She heard the word dyslexia for the first time when she was 15. I was doing home economics and one of the nuns, I had handed in an assignment and one, one of the nuns said, Ronya Cleary, are you dyslexic? And I was like, am I what? They weren't, the school didn't really want to keep me in because I was so bad. And they said, you know, in the 20 years the school has been going, we've never had anyone as bad as her. And I remember having to tell my teachers I'm dyslexic. And there was this old nun and she goes to me, what are you? And I go, sister, I'm dyslexic. And she goes, dyslexia, have they not found a cure for that yet? And I was like, sister, it's not the common cold. Gronje's dyslexia means there's a disconnect with how a word looks on the page and how it sounds when spoken. Like they're two totally separate things. When she's speaking or reading aloud, Gronje has to decrypt words and letters, encode that into her brain, then translate it back out into the language of speech, which can affect the way she talks. But, you know, I've had all that all my life. You know, like, why are you speaking funny? You're not Irish... And I'd be wanting to say, no, it's a speech impediment, but I'd be too embarrassed. As soon as I go home to Ireland, the first thing they say to me is, who are you from with that accent? And it's like, oh, here we go again. And then I say, oh, yeah, I've been in Australia. Oh, yeah, you sound kind of Aussie, all right. I was like, no, it's a bloody speech impediment. So, yeah, you can hear it a lot more when I go home. Over here, you guys think it's a nice accent. It's like when I talk about La Nina and El Nino. I have such trouble with those two words. And I really need to break them down to be able to pronounce them and remember how to pronounce them. Even though I hear other people say them, and they can say them fine, and I use these words all the time, I still have trouble. La Nino, La Nina. Like those two different, oh my God, my head just goes into twirls. So you find ways of coping, such as having it written down and having it in different colours so you can pick out the parts of the words you need to pronounce. I have yo written Y-O, you know, apostrophe. El Nin, just a big L. You don't pronounce the E in front of La Nino. But before I would go El Nino, no, it's El Nino. So like that, really breaking them down like that and just repeating and repeating until I get them in my head. (laughs) 
So now you know a bit about the unique way Gronia's brain works, I want to tell you about her dreams and her ambitions. They start when she's a small child. My first memories of actually working and counting wildlife was with my granddad. He used to have a red-breast robin that would come and do the gardening with him, sit on the top of his, his lawnmower, feeding the rasher rinds to the robin during the winter. When I was asked what I wanted to do when I grew up, it was always working with animals. Always loved wildlife, always knew I wanted to work with them, just like I kind of had a, a destiny in my head. I feel like, you know, you're putting this earth to do good. And what I wanted to do was just really help people conserve wildlife, to have them understand the wildlife that's in the back garden, to understand the magic of the birds they see. And that was always so powerful in me. We had um, a school fair where people came and you kind of talked to them about what jobs you wanted to do. And I remember finding this leaflet that said zoology. And this was the first time I ever, ever saw the word zoology. You know, I, I had never seen it before. And I immediately knew that's what I wanted to, wanted to do. So I picked up this leaflet and I kept it with me for throughout the rest of school because I knew that's what I wanted to do. Even though I'd never heard the word before, I just saw it and I said, that's it. That's exactly what I want to do. Against all the odds, and no thanks to the nuns, Gronya passed just enough subjects to keep her dream alive. But she couldn't learn Irish Gaelic, a standard subject in school in Ireland. I dropped Irish because I had have a language difficulty, so I couldn't do Irish, and that broke my heart having to give up Irish. It was always like, why aren't you doing Irish? And I used to pretend my ma was English. I used to say, oh, my mam's English. That means I'm half English, so I don't have to do Irish. That was a lie I used to say, because I was too embarrassed to tell them I had this learning difficulty. If you don't leave school with Irish Gaelic, then you can't get into uni. No uni, no working with animals. But what you need to know about Gronya is she is very, very determined. A bit like that time when she learned to ride a bike with her dad, nothing was going to get in her way. I knew if I wanted to do zoology, if I wanted to follow this dream that I wanted all my life, I needed to go abroad. So she went to England instead. Rolling fields where there was cows and sheep. She went to Agricultural College in Hampshire and studied wildlife management where it was like 80% male. And I've come from a convent of complete girls in Dublin. That was just brilliant. And socially, it was much easier. They just saw her as Gronya from Dublin. They didn't see the speech impediment, so I felt like I fitted in a lot better. But she wasn't done there. Next, it was a degree in psychology and ecology in Scotland. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm in a university. Aberdeen University, no less, established in the 14th century. Pretty good, right? And it was amazing to go into these lecture theatres and they were massive. They would hold like 300 people. It took some hard work, but she smashed it, getting a 2-1, the second highest mark you can get. I still have that photo of me, you know, at my graduation of my degree, pointing to the PhD gown saying, that's next, that's next. Gronya was on a roll. Well, I knew that if I wanted to work with wildlife, I needed a PhD. She went to Trinity College in Dublin. It's like the Oxford or Cambridge of Ireland. 
So this was thick and scary to go back to the country that rejected me. You know, to go back to this country that told me I was no good and I'd never be educated. And studied... badges. And the fields would be massive green fields and they would have hedgerows around them and badgers love hedgerows. And how they affect livestock, which meant speaking to lots of farmers. Oh, I hear you down from your ivory tower in Trinity College to talk to us. Who loved her, of course. And then they'd be trying to marry me off to their sons. I have a son down here now who's looking for a wife. And I'd be like, no, no, I'm married already. <laughs> oh, it was great fun. Speaking of being married, Gronya had her wedding at Trinity, something you can only do if you study there. And I remember I actually got the limousine on the morning of my wedding. Me and my dad stopped outside the front of Trinity and we walked straight through though that big wooden door and went in and went into the church with my dad and I was like, yeah, I'm not hiding, I'm here, I'm doing this, I'm part of Trinity. And I then got my wedding photos outside the zoology building. It's this big old building with gold letters saying zoology above this big old oak door that I had a key for, could you believe it, a key for it. And um, we had these gorgeous wedding photos taken outside with the zoology written above me. It was just a complete dream come true. And don't forget, Gronya had got this far without really understanding the type of dyslexia she has or why it was limiting her. It wasn't until she was at uni in Scotland, aged 21, that she got the full picture. You know, it was work harder, harder, harder. I didn't really understand what dyslexia was. And it wasn't until I got into university and I was writing and I couldn't keep up with the lecturer. And he spotted this and he called me down and he said, you should have been able to keep up with this lecture. Why can't you? And I said, oh, I'm just a little bit dyslexic. And he goes, OK, we need to have you officially tested. I'd never had an official test. So I went and I went to see the psychologist and I remember going in, I was really happy and I was like, I'm going to be a little bit dyslexic, you know, it's going to be no worries. And she started, I went in and she started having me doing these puzzles. She would say numbers and letters to me and then I would have to say them back to her and then she'd say them again and I would have to say them reverse to her. And I could not do them and I just couldn't keep up with, with this. And I started getting like really down during the exam and then at the end of it, she's like, you know, you shouldn't have gotten this far. You shouldn't be in university. You know, you shouldn't have gotten this far. And it just really deflated me because it was like somebody else saying, no, you shouldn't be in education when you drop out already. You know, this is going to be too hard for you. But I was just determined. I was so determined. This is what I want to do. All I have to do is get to this degree and then it will be all good. So I just, you know, that kind of forced me to buckle down and just work harder and longer. That negative attitude towards dyslexia followed Gronje into Trinity College while she was doing her PhD. You know, my supervisor didn't believe that I could do it, and she was always like, ah, oh, Gronje will amount to nothing. You know, don't mind her, she, you know, she's a goner. So my PhD was very much on my own. I had to do it. And I did it, and I made bloody well sure, you know, I got it done in three years. You know, I, I remember when I handed in my PhD, and I handed it in, and she was like, oh, my God, you failed. You shouldn't have done that. You know, and I didn't. I passed. You know, as much as I wanted to go there and, you know, it was so amazing to be in Dublin studying in Trinity College. The 
bullying, the, you know, you're not Trinity, you don't speak like a Trinity person, you know, really, really got me down. And my supervisor just not having time for me because, you know, she assumed, made judgments on me because of my dyslexia. I spent three years in Ireland and that was enough. I, at the time I thought it was just Trinity, you know, if I move, this won't follow me, it will be fine. So we left, you know, after three years, we, we booked one-way tickets to Australia. Gronya loved learning about the wildlife in her new home, something that would be a huge help to her later on. She discovered that magpies were one of the first native birds to be welcomed by the early settlers, and that they quite liked the visitors. So back when we were first settling in 1788, and you know we started clearing the land, one of the species that actually did quite well was the magpie, because they forage on the ground. So when we started clearing, vegetation to make pasture for cows and sheep and whatever. The magpies actually did quite well in that habitat. And they would go up to the farmers and they'd go up to the houses looking for food because we brought over chickens and hens with us. And the magpies and the other birds would watch the chickens getting fed and they would actually come down to try to get food from the person who was feeding these chickens. So right off from day one, we have had great relationships with magpies. A bit like those magpies, Gronya adapted to her new life in Australia. But when she started working in universities, the same cycle started happening all over again. So you can imagine with the science that I went into, all the Latin words. Oh, my God. They were always tricky for me, learning you know, how to pronounce the Latin words. And in exams, you'd often have to write it. And I just had huge trouble with that. But I was always like, who needs to know the Latin words unless, you, you know, you're writing up strict academia. Most people want to know the words in English. So I would always use the English word instead of the Latin word. And people would be like, well, you've got to use the scientific name, you know, the Latin name. And you're like, no, you can use the English name as well. Now in her 30s, Gronia's dyslexia was still her Achilles heel. I'm plus in Australia. I'm Irish. I'm, you know, female. I'm loud. And I'm in the sciences. You know, they don't always go together over here. And as much as I love Australia, you know, being a woman in science can even be more difficult. I always had a very tricky time in academia and I would end up with a lot of bullying and harassment, especially over my spellings. And part of being dyslexic is you swear. Like, you know, you just do it. It's just part of being kind of eccentric and dyslexic. And I'm there and he taps me on the shoulder and he goes, could you stop swearing? And I go, oh, fuck, sorry, shit, was I swearing? That upsets the academics when you swear. Not getting the recognition and just kind of being forced out, bullied out of situations. Yeah, just nothing I did would be good enough and just subtle bullying like that. And, you know, that just really erodes away at your confidence. And I just couldn't understand why. Why was the same patterns happening over and over again? You know, I wanted this so badly. Surely if I just tried hard enough and I worked hard enough and I brought in money, you know, it would be okay. It will work. This is just because of this place. If you go on somewhere else, the other side of the world, it won't be like this. But it always is. 
By this point, Gronje was burnt out and fed up. It took a trip to country New South Wales and a friend with a different perspective to help Gronje see why, after all this time and effort, she just wasn't fitting in. So I've worked with and have been accepted into an Aboriginal mob in New South Wales. And it was, it was only a couple of years ago, this girl, this friend of mine said to me, she's from that mob. You can't speak the language. You don't speak the language of academia. That's why they're not accepting you. And I was like, oh, my God. And she's like, yeah, how do you expect to be accepted when you don't speak the language? So it's coming from someone like her, you know, it really opened my eyes to why I never fitted in. So, yeah, I, that, that made me think, yeah, yeah, you know, I could be banging my head against this for the next 10 years. You know, why bother if I'm never going to be able to speak that language? You know, do something that I can do where I can speak the language. I can't keep going through the same cycles and having the same problems I've been having all this time. I've got to learn. I've got to, you know, step away from academia. It doesn't work for me. Instead of battling through research papers for academia... Gronje switched to working with everyday people, to citizen science. She started something called the Australian Bird Feeding and Watering Study. 7,000 citizen scientists from all over Australia using their smartphones to identify and count the bird life around them. So instead of me doing all the research, I had the public doing it. So they got involved in what's happening in their back garden. And they were all so friendly and so you know, wanting to information, wanting to know these birds. And, and I could share this information with them. And part of that is breaking down the big language that we use so often in academia. That really, yeah, that was a real, yes, I've got a connection here. This is what I'm meant to do. So, yeah, that, that was amazing. And I love, I love working with the public. For once, you know, people could understand what I'm saying. They, they loved the way I spoke. I got loads of radio interviews. People loved the, the way I could have my message and people could really understand. And that's what got me excited. And that's why I came into this, you know, was to share knowledge. And in 2019, Gronje gathered all the stories and information from the public together in a book called Your Backyard Birds. That's done really well. And the fact that that was written in plain English, I could write it. So I really think I found my niche, you know, writing for the public instead of trying to write for science, if you got me. You know, so I can write with passion. And it was only after doing that book and after kind of taking a big deep breath and letting myself, you know, relax, did I finally, you know, kind of see where I had been going wrong. The journey I've been on and what I've come through, I feel like I can help other people. And that's all I really wanted to do was help to inspire other people. So there's other, you know, little groinies out there that want to do ecology and want to do science, but, you know, feel that, you know, because they're dyslexic, they won't be able to. No, go and do it. It's worth it. And you, you're special because you think outside the box and you think differently. And that can really help in somewhere like science. In many ways, 
her knowledge and love of birds saved Gronya and gave her a new sense of direction. So it's easy to see why she loves Australian native birds like magpies. They symbolize her newfound happiness and being accepted. She can identify with how the super smart magpie is sometimes misunderstood. I'm a little bit too loud, a little bit too boisterous, a little bit inappropriate at times. Probably, probably can relate to them. A bit in your business, yes. I might, I might be a little, they might be my kin spirit, my totem animal, my totem bird. enjoying days like these as much as we enjoy making it. If you'd like to support us, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review in your podcast app of choice, or you can spread the word with a friend or on Twitter or Facebook. If there's a story you want us to hear, please get in touch. You can reach us at dayslikethese at abc.net.au. On the next episode of Days Like These, a woman born into a cloistered religious community has an experience that forces her to begin questioning its laws which govern every aspect of her life. When I first learnt about the laws, I was quite taken aback. Obviously, keeping track of your menstrual cycle, how you're supposed to relate to your husband, for example. I was taught that I can't pass a fork to my husband during this period. I would have to put the fork down on the table for him to pick it up because just in case my finger would brush against his hand and that would arouse him, you know, and who knows where that would lead. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Kulas. Our lead reporter is Pat Abud and our Season 2 reporting team includes Sam Wicks, James Viver and Belinda Lopez. Our researcher is Tamar Cranswick, and our digital team includes Andrew Davies and Michael Delaney. Sound design on this episode by Russell Stapleton, with thanks to Timothy Nicastri and Stephen Tilley. The supervising producer for this episode was Andrew Davies, and our brilliant executive producers are Ian Walker and Rachel Fountain. Our theme song is Yeah Now by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. Extra music by Russell Stapleton. See you next time. If you made it this far, we're thinking you might just be in the mood for trying something new in your podcast feed. 
So we've been going through the vault here at ABC Audio Studios to unearth some of the hidden classics you might not have come across. This one is truly in a class of its own. A surreal sitcom set in a once glamorous, now decrepit Hollywood hotel where movie stars go to fester. The waitstaff are bears, the bellhop sounds like Kenny from South Park, and the lift operator is Werner Herzog, of course. It is completely kooky, kind of like if the goons and Marty Boosh had a love child which was raised by wolves in the back lots of downtown LA. The Tokyo Hotel stars Ben Russell and is narrated by the wonderful Anne Charleston. But don't take my word for it. Here's a little slice. Welcome to the Tokyo Hotel. Established in 1913 by the billionaire businessman Terence Bickford, it soon became the place to be and the place to be seen. Located in the beauty of North Hollywood, the hotel was a beacon of the Golden Age. People would come from all corners of the globe just to sit in its beautiful cocktail lounge and listen to its world-class jazz, sample five-star cuisine or get pampered in luxury while staying in one of their sensational suites. The party of 1952 is here. It's all happening. The who's who of Hollywood, from Greek Tannenbaum to Sylvia Grintz, they've all turned out looking their best to the beautiful Tokyo Hotel's Night of Nights, the annual St. Valentine's Day soiree. This is what the hotel is known for. This is why it's here. Good evening, Los Angeles. I'm your host, Brock Talbot. Tonight, Hollywood Eye Spy gets exclusive access to the red carpet. Some stars have already pulled up to the grand entrance, including Adriana Granshaw, Rohando Delaronte, Margot Broadfield, but right now, it's, oh my God, look who it is. It's none other than the beautiful Ziggy Martinez and her beau, Ponsonby Castlegrate. No place on earth is more glamorous than here, the Tokyo Hotel. <laughs> 